This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. The Huskies Warming House podcast is also brought to you by the Soda Pod, home of MNCAA college hockey news and more. Stay wild and up to date with new episodes throughout every week. Find them on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and other podcast platforms. And welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Max and Noah Grant here in the den and... Of course, another great week as we continue our work on the men's side. Another NCHC preview, the last of the non-home spots in the NCH here for episode 174. And uh, before we get to that as well, of course, some rule changes coming out, by the way, Nick. We'll touch on those, I think, a little bit next week uh, coming up. Uh, some NCAA rules uh, clarifying some things that uh, is everyone's favorite related to reviews and lengthy stoppages and whatever else. So we'll get to that next week. This week, however, Nick... Um, we are going to kind of dip out of what we said we probably weren't going to. Um, the Minnesota Wild don't have a whole lot of news uh, for us this summer moving into the season. And they're really their big fish items in Matt Dumba and Philip Gustafson have both been announced. One going one direction, one, of course, going the other. So probably pertinent enough for us to at least touch on it here in the state of Minnesota before we get ready for state fair week in a couple of weeks as well, too. We'll kind of stay local. Uh, Holy hell. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. I can't believe it's already the middle of August, uh, you know, pushing into the later stages. It's not, I don't like this. This is not good uh, by any means, but uh, what we can tell you is we are excited of course for hockey season, which is about six weeks and change around the corner on the women's side and about eight weeks, about two months away on the men's side as well too. So we'll get you recapped with more men's action here as we start with center ice view news and notes presented by huskiesillustrated.com and the soda pot center ice view news and notes center ice view provides you with the best coverage of st cloud state huskies hockey from game notes recaps photos and more go to centericeview.com Welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode 174. Nick Maxson, Noah Grant here in the den here in the middle of August, Nick. And uh, before we get to our men's action here, a very interesting team uh, that we have to talk about with a lot of turnover here this week. Um, A team with probably less than stellar turnover on the National Hockey League side here, Nick. Uh, (laughs) Philip Gustafson, uh, the Wild do get their man at a relatively affordable price, three years for him. On the other side, a single-year deal for Matt Dumba. He is headed to Arizona with the Coyotes organization, Nick. 
I don't think the Matt Dumba one was any surprise, but it almost, I, I, to be honest, maybe we want to start there, Nick. It almost feels like Matt Dumba, in some senses, is maybe setting himself up for a potential reunion with the Minnesota Wild if he plays serviceable enough and the Wild suddenly have cap space coming up in the next uh, you know, two years or so. How did you view this? Obviously, Arizona, very interesting place, great destination. Him and Logan Cooley will be snapping it around. But other than that, what can you kind of like, like what insight do you have on that? So I think it goes two ways, right? Um, I think a lot of people look at this as you did, right? Which is Matt Dumba um, wanting a one-year contract, but also understand, Noah, from the NHL and the team's perspective, um, we're supposed to have a major cap increase after this season. So I think a lot of players as well as organizations are trying to leave themselves a little bit of wiggle room just in case. And then obviously for the players, uh, one or two years, again, escrow is supposed to be paid off. Um, at least early estimates, maybe as much as four to five million at this time next year, that teams might have some extra cap space to work with. And uh, let's say you bet on yourself, which I think Matt Dunn was kind of doing a little bit, maybe a little bit of a show me contract. Uh, maybe he can capitalize and maybe a more of a seriously two or three year deal after this one. Um, still, one year at four million isn't bad, uh, especially coming from the Coyotes who historically have not really wanted to sign players for a decent amount of change. So I think it's good for both sides. And uh, yeah, I mean, it would not shock me that if Matt Dunn was trying to set himself up to be movable, although I'm not so sure that return comes to Minnesota, especially if Brock Faber this season performs as maybe we hope and maybe we expect as well. Yeah, and does Kalen Addison get another kick at the can? I think that's the other yeah. question, too, is, you know, how do they round that out? I mean, there's no secret. I mean, at some point, Alice Golgoski, I mean, this is probably it for him. I mean, he's, you know, just kind of moving in that direction. You know, I think worst case scenario for a Wild fan is seeing him go to Arizona and maybe plays in a top two role and for whatever reason, you know, like it's, let's say he puts up 50 points this year you know like that's well can we say it can we have a hot take arizona does not look that bad this year yeah they don't at least on paper right now the question's going to be does that translate to wins you know over what they have been you know the last few seasons or so but you know chicago is going to be rebuilding yes they have connor bedard and they've made some pretty good moves this offseason too but they're still going to struggle a little bit just because of the depth in the organization a lot of it being new and uh, a lot of it also being on the other side of it, also kind of in the seasoning pass. So um, St. Louis is, you know, kind of in a transition year. Uh, Winnipeg, no one knows what the heck is going on north of the border. Not even them, I don't think. Um, so, I mean, there is a real opportunity for Arizona to push for a top four, if not top three spot in the central division. And um yeah, I'm going to go out and say it. I think they could do it. I really think. I think their roster is there. I think Matt Dumb was a nice piece, especially a right shot defenseman on that blue line. Um, no matter what role he plays, um, he can't really count on the Coyotes. They may be a surprise. And then side note, Noah, it looks like there have been, and I think we'll touch on this maybe next week too, uh, there's been some movement apparently in the arena or um, talks as well yeah. in Arizona, which, I mean, if that is indeed positive trending that is good for the game and for hockey in arizona yeah i always love when you see the other piece of this too where you know they released that pr statement like you mentioned and then people below it are like arizona hey we bought land like you know we've kind of been here before kind of thing so pretty much yeah <laughs> it'd be so interesting it'd be interesting. they haven't that's the funny part they haven't, yeah. <laughs> haven't bought land so um if that is indeed the case and it's not in its private land at that point you don't have to do any sort of voting so 
fingers crossed, right? <laughs> yeah, we've had uh, fingers crossed and uh, other things clenched for a while now if you're a Coyotes fan. But I mean, yeah. on the other side of that, you are right. You're not the first person that I've heard that's talked about how Arizona might be kind of a sleeper pick, as they say, um, moving into next season. Uh, someone who was a sleeper pick moving into the previous season, like we mentioned, though, Philip Gustafson, the Wild, get their man. Three years, $11.25 million over the course of that. That's $3.75 annually uh, for the netminder for Minnesota. And Nick, um, I'm all right with this. I think 3.7 is a good cap yes. hit. You know, I was thinking 3.5 is probably a really good number, a little bit of an extra pay to keep him in Minnesota. Um, gives a bit of a buffer between the exit of Marc-Andre Fleury, which will be coming in the next year or two, make no mistake about that, and how good is Jesper Wallstadt, or does Minnesota have to start looking other directions as well too, depending on his AHL seasoning. Um very curious to see now that he's got his first quote unquote big boy contract in the National Hockey League. He's young. He's, you know, barely 24 or just approaching that age. Um, how does he handle that second season? We talked about this with Devin Dubnik, where he gave Minnesota probably about three and a half, maybe four good years. And then the last two were a little bit tough. Still a young netminder, still a lot to learn. Can he really can he replicate that success and did Minnesota, do you think, by the end of this, do you think they've gotten a bargain out of Philip Gustafson for these three years? Or do you think there's still some question marks here as we approach the really the quote unquote sophomore season with the Minnesota Wild? Well, time will tell, right? Um, I think if he plays equally that he did last season, it's a bargain and a half, let's be honest, right? Um, he was a consistent presence for the Wild in the back end. Um, no doubt, as you mentioned, Mark Rande Fleury is uh, toward the twilight of his career. So uh, definitely in the starter role, right? And uh, yeah, being young, right? I mean, 24 for a goaltender, that's still very young in NHL standards, right? You're still sort of figuring things out. You're still developing. And I think the big question, Mark, and I think this is fair, right, is a lot of people, including I think with the contract negotiations, were wondering, is this a flash in the pan, right? Because he struggled with Ottawa. Now, granted, Ottawa was a much different team in a much different position. Uh, shall we say the defense wasn't quite as helpful in front of him. Um, so he's in, uh, shall we say, a good system for him to be successful. Again, can you replicate that season over season? I think he has the tools. Again, technically, you've talked about him before. Is a very sound net minder. And here's the best part, right? The Wild can't lose in this situation. Let's just say that this season just goes off the rails for the Wild, right? Um, then that allows the Wild to maybe trade out some pieces like Marc-Andre Fleury or maybe even a Goligoski to maybe have one more crack at the can for a Stanley Cup, right? And then maybe you bring up Jesper Wallstead, right? Um, and then on the other hand, see that you go on a magical run and uh, let's just say that all of a sudden, you know, other teams come calling. He is a trade piece. He's a great asset piece, right? So... I don't know how you look at this in any sort of bad realm. Uh, to me, it's good for the team, good for him, and I, I just don't expect him to fall off. I think he's going to pick up right where he left off last season. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how he advances, of course, as is the name of the game at pretty much every level. Goaltending, vitally important. Nick, there's a team coming up in the NCHC that we have at number five that got their goaltender, but boy, they had to replenish a lot more than that, uh, to say the least. Um, with a home rank that seats 11,500 I think it's uh, pretty safe to say when I mention that phrase, Nick, who do we have at number five? It's uh, the Fighting Hawks, right? And this is curious, right, Noah, because uh, we've seen teams in college hockey have turnover before, right? Um, I don't think I've seen the turnover that we are seeing with this particular squad, right? Um, and even so last year, right, there was a lot of new faces 
Um, the defensive core, though, was largely intact. Yeah, you lost Jake Sanderson and a couple of other pieces up front. But largely, this team was, shall we say, the most of the core was intact, I would say, right? But, no, let's talk about them in terms of last season, right? Um, we had them picked wrongfully and quite very wrongfully to sort of win the NCHC. And for whatever reason, this team just struggled. Let's talk about the record and maybe some of the key stats that contributed to what we saw on the ice for them last year. Yeah. Um, we missed the boat on this one. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, mean, barely, exactly. o- barely over 500. And if you want to, you know, qualify it a little bit, if you put like an aggregate record, uh, 18, 15 and five, I mean, theoretically 18 and 20 on the season, I guess, technically a little bit below pairwise points percentage is actually five Oh four. So I mean, fluttering around that mark, uh, 10 and 10 and three in the conference, Nick, I mean, exactly 500 for them last season, not, typical of North Dakota hockey that we've seen since the NCHC inception four, two and five in overtime, which that's a lot of OT 11 games that go to the extra session. Um, Correct. You know, give them credit. We talked about this with Colorado college last uh, or two weeks ago, I should say Uh, getting to the extra session though, is half the battle in the NCHC. You want to at least be pulling some points if you can here. Uh, um, 14, seven and one when scoring first. So, I mean, they were still getting on the board quite a bit, um, but they weren't exactly, you know, kind of throwing the hammer down and closing out hockey games. Like we've been accustomed to um, outshot quite a bit last season, six and eight in one goal contest. I mean, Oof. that again, it just not typical of what we've seen from Bradbury's squad here. Um, and, you know, realistically, if they weren't carrying that lead after the first period, and even when they did, they were eight and seven, you know, when carrying a lead after the first 20. So it's not like, you know, I think when I think of fighting Hawks hockey, um, fans notwithstanding, uh, yeah. fine. there is a, a thought process of either they close games heavily late or in years past, they've started hot. They've got out to two, nothing, three, nothing, three, one leads and kind of taking control and a chokehold of hockey games. You really didn't see that last year. Uh, still outscored their opponents uh, by 17 last season and still outshot them heavily. You know, so underlying numbers and possession numbers kind of put them at number five where we have them because they still at least last season, still under the structure of Bradbury. It kind of felt like a team uh, really almost reminiscent of maybe Denver a couple of years ago where, you know, they went into the pod and we kind of thought, okay, like at some point they're going to break through, like at some point they're going to find their rhythm. And they just, they lost a lot of close hockey games. And where did they end up, Nick? I believe it was fifth in the NCHC that year. They just, they Uh, just know it was fifth, right? Yeah. They just never quite found that traction. They just never found that extra gear. North Dakota kind of felt like that last season. And as they approach this year, Nick, Mountain might get even taller. But as far as last season is concerned, anything that I'm kind of missing here in the statistical you know, bracket? Um, I want to say this. Def- you know, we talk about defense, right? You mentioned goaltending, right? That was their biggest, shall we say, Achilles heel throughout the entire season, right? And... You know, North Dakota, more known for their offense, their forecheck, right? That, you know, the the passing, the goal scoring, that's sort of the the identity of North Dakota hockey, right? Just the skill up front. Um, now, honestly, in years past, it's been 
sort of skill on the defensive end, right? Between guys like we mentioned, Jake Sanderson, Tyler Clevin, both now with Ottawa centers and pro contracts. Um, they didn't have that last year. They never had that puck moving and sort of skating defenseman that could really kind of take control. And especially was if the team was being sort of suppressed and held back in their own zone, find a way to get out of it, whether it's to even just to relieve pressure, get to the red line and, you know, get the puck deep and at least allow um, a line change, right? We didn't see that. So when North Dakota, where weirdly enough, they're the ones usually, you know, handcuffing the team in their defensive zone. It was North Dakota at times that was sort of pinned down in their own zone. And that's something we never usually see. Um, it, it was interesting, right? So I, I felt like defensively, they really felt like they left themselves down last year. In fact, Brad Barry said the same thing at the end of the season press conference. He felt like offensively and with the freshmen, and we'll talk some individual statistics here in a minute, but he felt like, you know, just defensively as a whole, it just let them down and uh, their record and, you know, certain situational records, as you already mentioned, uh, reflect that. Yeah, it certainly did. And I mean, the start to the season, of course, they take care of Holy Cross. Uh, they have a tie and a pretty tough loss against Quinnipiac, which at the time we didn't know how to qualify that. And then looking back, to be honest, I think it, it oh. Okay, right? Right. <laughs> um, and then an overtime loss against Minnesota, two, a pair of overtime games against the Gophers, actually one win, one loss. Then they lose to Arizona State by a single goal. Um, and then they lose to Omaha, get swept by Denver, and then split with Miami and then Bemidji State as well, too. So then it was kind of in the month of November, it was like, hmm, like this is an interesting trend that maybe we haven't seen where some of these teams that, not to say they should have handled them easily, but they generally are able to, be a little bit better and then they get swept uh by saint cloud moving into december um and a little bit of traction against western before the holiday break nick but that first half for north dakota i mean you look at that schedule just not reminiscent of the power start that we've seen in years past no and i want to get your opinion on this noah too because i remember after the miami split right there were two diverging storylines that were happening, right? First of all, what's happening with North Dakota, right? Because at that point, the alarm bells were going off, especially up near Grand Forks. Number two, all of a sudden, okay, Miami has said, and I remember a media talking with Chris Bergeron and, and some of the players then, it was, we feel like we're going to be a better team this year. So we thought, okay, North Dakota, what's going on? But also, is this is this Miami starting to break out again, right? Um, well, two of those ending up a little bit differently than maybe we thought at that time. Uh, but no, did you get that same sense at that time? Because again, not really any traction and not to, you know, no disrespect to Miami, but you know, that's just not a team North Dakota has had trouble with in the past. Yeah. I think it was uh, coming in out of the holiday break. It was, uh, I want to say 10 games total that they ended up playing uh, conference wise and they end up losing. What is it? One, two, uh, three, four, five, six of those games. And then they tie a non-conference game against Bemidji. Um, it just, it, it uh, we kind of looked at it and we were like, boy, like it's just it's taking them a little bit to kind of wake up. And so we thought coming out of the holiday break that, you know, of course, they sweep Lindenwood, but it wasn't by a, a large margin four three and four to two. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, not to say Lindenwood was a bad team last year. But again, you look at that. And of course, they gave a couple of teams actually a good run for their money. But you look at that matchup historically. North Dakota maybe plays them tight one night, but then the next one it's 7-1 or 7-2 or whatever it is. Like you, you start to see that spread open up. Then they get stomped at Western Michigan, you know, getting outscored 11 to 6 on the weekend, split against Duluth. Um, they do make a statement against Miami at the end of January, outscoring them 12 to 1 on the weekend, but then they followed it up being swept against Denver. Uh, 
a shootout loss against St. Cloud, um, single game set against CC and victories against Omaha. So they finally win three straight. Um, and then, of course, you move into tournament time. Uh, they barely eke one out against Omaha in the quarterfinal matchup. And then, of course, St. Cloud takes care of them in overtime and probably their best game of the season. Let's be honest with you. A very good hockey game um, that the Huskies probably didn't deserve to control a whole lot of and maybe get the result that they did. I mean, North Dakota had a very good effort uh, in their final game of the season on March 17th. But they never put themselves in a position really in the top 20 to 25 uh, at certain points to really make a difference. Like you, you never really felt that and we've had North Dakota teams in years past where right they've been sitting at 22 20 whatever it is and you felt like they were just one good weekend or you know one half of a month away from getting right back in the mix they just never really had that and I I agree we kind of sat at that point and it wasn't I I don't know if you know we weren't at like DEFCON 1 but at the same time I don't think we looked at that and said like but this is not the North Dakota team that we've been accustomed. This is not the Bradbury squad that we've been accustomed. And it was just this case of, and I don't even know if it was like they couldn't unlock that scoring touch for some of their top guys. Um, Really for me, I, I think it was some of the, you know, the upperclassmen guys just didn't make enough of an impact as far as we had maybe anticipated necessarily. And some of these freshmen, who, of course, uh, some really highly touted freshmen coming in for this group last season. Um, of course, Jackson Blake, an unbelievable year with 42 points last season. But I mean, they didn't necessarily across the board have that massive impact that we expected to supplement them. And final point here, Nick. My goaltending was really subpar. I mean, there's there's just no other way to put it. It was. I, I want to talk goaltending in a minute, but you mentioned Jackson Blake, right? And we're going to talk some individuals, right? Reese Gaber was also a really good point getter for these guys. But, and I'm, I'm going to go with the hockey argument that all the hockey people hate, right? And that is plus minus. Um, not because we're going to take it for what it's worth, right? But more so, it is sort of indication of where this North Dakota squad was, right, Noah? So if you look at Jackson Blake, 42 points, a minus one, right? So that means, okay, of all you're contributing, still not taking bridges in the back end, right? And what's what's throw the argument this way, Noah? Is it really, we, we gave the goaltending, Drew DeRitter, Drew Hellison, um, again, wasn't great, but if you look at some of those you know, other statistics with the forwards. I mean, were they getting a lot of help either? So was it was it really just a goaltending situation or was this also systemically just not a great effort in front of their goaltenders that maybe, you know, as we know, kind of domino affected and just hurt the team overall? Well, it just felt like a really poor balance, right? You talk about plus minus Gavin Hayne dash 10 with 18 points last season, not really accustomed for him to be necessarily in that realm. And then you've got other guys. I thought, you know, of course, Chris Jandrick as a graduate defenseman had a great season coming over. I, uh, you know, he was plus 16 with 33 points. So again, you start to see him produce, but then like, Luke Bast, for example, the sophomore defenseman, dash 10 last season. So you're starting to see this disparity between certain units, certain lines, certain defensive pairings that seem to have really good success. And then other units where it was almost, I don't even want to characterize it as this, but I don't know how else to. Like it was almost like a matchup issue where like Gavin Hayne was getting put in positions and like not able to like suddenly drive possession, you know, 
I don't know if it's because you're suddenly not sheltered depending on like where you're sitting in the lineup or whatever it is, but you couldn't be the quiet scorer that was able to play a good 200 foot game because it felt like North Dakota was either chasing hockey games or they just, they weren't able to relax and play their style of play that they wanted. And like you mentioned, I mean, Jackson Blake, very curious to see how he does in his sophomore season, because again, we've seen this before guys that start out hot, you know, have a really good freshman year. How does, how do they handle the sophomore year, especially with the massive turnover that North Dakota is, going to have that we're going to obviously allude to but um it's funny because i i I almost want to talk about the defensive structure and how the d pairings went but uh, to be honest why it's not really relevant moving into the season i mean they lost their entire defensive core so it really is kind of a moot point because i can't even characterize what the turnaround should look like for this defensive core. Cause I don't even know what they're going to look like. I mean, I, when, when have we ever said that where like name a returning defenseman on this roster? You can't like literally think about, can't. Think about that phrase. Yeah. You cannot name a returning defenseman on this roster. So I can't even begin to give you an analysis because it doesn't add anything to the argument that we're about to make. Right. And I think, you know, and we're going to talk, Uh, the coaching staff here before we talk about the changes, right? Because there are a bunch of changes because uh, this coaching staff is going to have their hands full, right? To try to guide this team. Um, And again, there's skill here, right? I mean, there's no question there's skill for North Dakota. The question I think is, and what I'll ask you, Noah, here in a minute is, can they get it all put together? Can they get everybody in the same page quickly? Because yes, we have them here at number five, right? Uh, For the NCHC. But they could easily go up or they could easily go down too, right? So uh, for those who've lived under a rock, which I can't imagine those who follow our podcast do, again, Bradbury, the head coach, ninth season. Um, Despite some of the challenges, Noah, I mean, this coaching staff, again, with Dane Jackson, has been there for uh, almost two decades. And also Carl Goring um, as one of the assistant coaches. I mean, this is a very experienced, very highly touted coaching staff. But I would imagine even for college coaching standards, this is probably a challenge that neither one of these have ever faced in their coaching careers with all the turnover. And uh, shall we say, just whether it's freshman class or transfers in and out, this is a unique season coming up for the North Dakota Fighting Hawks. Yeah, Carl Gehring, of course, I always butcher his last name. I'm pretty I never remember how it's pronounced. But of course, uh, he's uh, the assistant coach also, I believe, getting ready Um I think it's him actually that's getting ready for uh, the Linka Cup here in August as well too. If I'm not mistaken, one of the one of the assist, one of the assistant coaches is of course Dane Jackson. Like you mentioned, has been there a long time. We almost we've expected so many times for him to jump to the next level, and he just hasn't quite done that because he likes his position at North Dakota. Um, and then Brad Berry, like you mentioned, Jason Ulmer as the volunteer, and actually North Dakota. Nick, to your point. Uh, trying to deal with this issue. They're actually searching for a third assistant coach, by the way. Um, As we speak, I announced uh, earlier this month in August. So, I mean, that kind of gives you an idea here of how they're trying to handle this transition. And I think Brad Berry, of course, uh, multiple NCHC coach of the year, right? And, you know, has done a lot of great work. Um, I think they're just wondering how to kind of unlock some of the potential of guys that are returning, but also at the same time trying to handle this big turnover because you know that there's going to be a huge development and transfer piece too. And there's a lot of freshmen coming in. We're going to get to that, but there's also a lot of transfers coming in and it's unique in the sense that even a team, let's say for example, like Miami, we've talked about their big 
turnover as far as the transfer portal. For them, it was almost they're getting back kind of what they what they lost, so to speak, in the transfer portal. With North Dakota, there's no telling which guys are top six guys, top nine guys, middle six guys, bottom six guys, fourth line guys. Like it's it's so difficult. And don't even get me started about the defensive pairings. Uh, <laughs> like I, it, it's it's a very unique situation because, ironically enough, Nick. The position that North Dakota struggled with so mightily last season in goaltending is now probably their most like easy position to outlook moving into this season. It's probably their most solidified position because of their moves in the transfer portal. But other than that, it's all chaos. And like you mentioned, this coaching staff, Bradbury, well you know, accoladed, well accustomed to the NCHC and the college game. Dane Jackson, of course, as well. Uh, Carl Gehring, of course, uh, former North Dakota netminder and very successful in his tenure as well, too. Um, you know, if you have those three guys and they're looking for an extra body in addition, in addition to Jason Ulmer, who does a great job as the volunteer assistant, I think that's telling in and of itself. And I think that if they're at that point this late in the game, unless somebody's on the move that we don't know about, I think this is very telling for this coaching staff that they anticipate this season to really be a mixed bag of question marks. Like you said, they could finish third in the NCHC. Nick, they could finish seventh in the NCHC very easily. Um, And you and I, uh, full disclosure here, went back and forth about them, NCC uh, and Duluth, and kind of tried to figure out this mix. All three of these teams, the Tigers on one hand, right? are slowly creeping up into the mix mm-hmm. while North Dakota and Duluth are like floundering slightly into that grouping five through seven right now is going to be very confusing. North Dakota is arguably the biggest wild card we have this season. And I think this coaching staff, like you mentioned, has a lot on their hands. I think let's do this Noah, because well, let's go backwards this way, right? Because I think it will help tell the story a little bit better. Let's talk about the players exiting North Dakota first before we talk about the players that are incoming, both freshmen and transfers, right? Um, If I'm doing my math correctly, um, outgoing player numbers, there are 14 of them. (laughs) Is that bad? That's a lot. Um, uh, Noah, for those curious how many players a normal, let's call it this, an NCHC school keeps on the roster now. Mind you, uh, there are some players on a total roster that are healthy scratches, whatnot, right? Um, Still 14 is a bit, and that's about how much of their roster? Oh gosh, two thirds at least. I mean, four, uh, fourteen. I mean, that it's that's insane. And you look yeah. at well, let's take a look here. Uh, what do we got? One, two, uh, three, four, five, six. What seven defensemen? Mm-hmm. You know, on their way out in some capacity. Um, let's let's run through them. Uh, very briefly, shall we? Of course, the big one, if you're a Huskies fan, Nick Ports, the junior forward, headed to St. Cloud. Uh, very curious to see how he slots in the lineup. We've talked about that before. Uh, Cooper Moore on the back end, Quinnipiac. Ty Farmer is done. Of course, he was in his graduate season. Uh, Brett Johnson uh, headed to Ohio State on the back end. Chris Jandrick, of course, is done as well, too. Uh, Gavin Hain done. We mentioned him and, of course, his plus minus. Uh, Ethan Frisch headed to the AHL, by the way, playing for the Barracuda in San Jose. I think he's a very underrated 200 foot forward as well yes, by the way 100%. um uh mateo constantini headed to western michigan mark senden also the ahl in charlotte luke bast uh headed to duluth which is kind of no surprise all things considered tyler clevin 
signing with Ottawa, of course, the big story about him and Jake Sanderson playing together in that all North Dakota back end pairing. There's a North Dakota defensive pairing that is at least intact for the time. Right. Being. <laughs> um, uh, Judd Caulfield on the forward side headed to San Diego. Uh, Jacob Helston, uh, net mining wise, headed to New Hampshire, which was a very interesting sideways uh, direction considering the net mining thing that we're going to get to. And then Drew DeRitter, of course, uh, former Michigan State Spartan, of course, aged out after his graduate year, did not have the best numbers last season. So, I mean, like you mentioned, 14 bodies on their way out uh, and trying to resupplement that back is going to be a challenge here, Nick. Um, I mean, you look at this list, though. Um, Chris Jander, who mentioned, had a really great season last year. Gavin Hain, of course, effective as always. Um, Tyler Clevin, a, a force on the back end, of course, a world junior participant uh, in recent years as well, too. But, I mean, you look at that look at that list, and I, dare I say, maybe besides Gavin Hain, just because his body of work, I, you know, there's not a name there that necessarily, to me at least, is like, oh, my gosh, like eye-popping, like that's a huge hole that they have to fill. It's just more kind of the aggregate of the thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, and I know I want to get your side of this because numbers, I mean, people will look at it like, okay, they're, they're looking for that one guy, right? This is the impact player. Uh, you know, again, we talked about Ethan Fresh being a really good 200-foot player, underrated. I am with you on that. I think he's just quietly just does his job. He doesn't necessarily jump off the page of you with the stats, but great locker room guy great leader on the bench and uh, also like i said just a great hockey player all around and round but as a player right Noah, if you're coming into this season and whether it's a freshman that is at or played junior hockey whether it's a transfer that you've been in a different system perhaps a different conference right this is almost the definition of trying to throw something all around the bakery and trying to cook up something that, you know, you've never done before. Um, but as a player, right, this is tough because, you know, there's going to be familiarity issues, right? If you're a returning North Dakota player, you sort of have what, you know, the systems that Bradbury wants, but now you're going to be relying on potentially, if not one or three or four, but maybe two players that are trying to figure this out on the fly um, defensemen, nothing there right so um how do you maybe counter that and as you get a concrete wall as your goaltender <laughs> that's ludwig pearson but i think the fear that we have no one and i think i want to get and i want to get your thoughts on all this is if you he's shown to be one of the best goaltenders in the conference i think we are in agreement with that but you do wonder how much of the workload he, or how much magic they're going to be expecting of him because at the end of the day, he can only do so much. And the one thing you don't want the Fighting Hawks to do is to wear him down so quickly. How do, as a player, how do you navigate this with so many new faces? Well, let's go back to this. You talked about scoring punch. And sometimes when you're a team like this and you have goaltending that's hit or miss, you have to supplement it with a little bit of running gun type style. You're playing six, five hockey games, five, four hockey games. Jackson Blake, Reese Gabe are the top two scorers, of course, return for next season. Chris Jandrick is gone. Nick, the next returner after, of course, Blake and Gaber at 42 and 37 points, respectively. Dylan James, who will be a sophomore, he had 16 points last year. I mean, that's a big drop-off where we don't generally see if North Dakota is top-heavy. It's like aggregate top-heavy. You know, they don't they didn't really have that scoring punch. As you mentioned, Ludwig Pearson, one of the transfers that are coming in this season, and he's going to obviously provide what he knows best. So coming from Miami, a team that is used to getting shelled in terms of shot volume and being able to handle that, Nick. Um 
But I think the biggest question mark, like you mentioned as well, not even with the scoring touch on the forward side is scoring touch means nothing. If you can't get out of your own zone, mm-hmm. Nick, you've got, you know, six, seven, eight new defensemen coming into the mix here. Who, who goes where normally when we have this conversation, it's, you know, even we've seen groups where they lose four, maybe five defensemen even, but you look and say, Oh, well, you've got a senior defenseman coming back and you've got a sophomore coming back that, you know, the senior defenseman will be on the top pairing and the sophomore is definitely a top four type of guy. And there you, you filled up two of your four guys there. Ludwig Pearson has no idea what's going to be in front of him, And he has no idea what offensive punch is going to supplement him. And it's a weird conversation for us. Uh, for those who remember, go back, of course, to number eight in Miami. And we talked about, you know, their struggles, what they had to do. And unfortunately, when you talk about the last place team in the conference expected for this upcoming season, the conversation tends to turn a little bit negative. And as we go through the number seven, six, five, four, naturally, the conversation starts to turn a little bit more positive. Here are things that are coming back. Here are things to look forward. This is what's going to keep them, you know, uh, solidified in these positions and they have to supplement this. North Dakota doesn't really have that. So for us to put them at number five, it's an interesting conversation because they have a lot of players that we're going to talk about that are coming in that are great players, Mm -hmm. but we have no idea how they're going to assimilate into this puzzle piece. We talked about number seven Duluth and Scott Sandlin and him, putting together that puzzle blindfolded with one hand behind his back. Um, Bradbury might need to give him a phone call this year because North Dakota has a problem on their hands this season that they historically have not. And Ludwig Pearson will alleviate some of that and maybe give some of these young guys and transfers time to sort things out while he's out there making 40 saves a night. But at some point you got to give him a break. And I'm very curious, Nick, who are going to be the guys to do that. We won't know until they start playing, right? Um, I can only imagine that the learning curve, um, there's going to be a lot of expectations coming from the coaching staff and maybe some of it, let's be honest, slightly unrealistic maybe, you know, because you're, you're trying to get the players to assimilate to the structure and to certain systems and forechecks and, you know, what's the big thing you want to be defensively. Um, and as you know, Noah, with hockey and how fluid it is, right? If one player is out of position, even by what, a half or sometimes a step, sometimes that's all it takes and things break down, whether it's in one zone or the other. Um, so let's do this. Let's talk about the incoming transfers first, and then we'll get to the freshmen, right? Because I think that this is a good way that we can say, okay, here's the here are the veterans, right? That we may yeah. want to look at. So I'll go through the list here a little bit, then I'll kind of have you comment on them as a group, right? So first, yeah. Yeah. well, I was gonna say, yeah, and I, actually, I'm gonna give the freshmen to you because you you your notes are really good. So I'm gonna actually let you have the freshmen, but yeah, transfers seven and seven, by the way, on each side here, Nick. So uh, let's hear about those transfers first. So uh, transfers, uh, so we get Hunter Johannes coming over from Lindenwood, and mind you, yeah. for a first year team for the Lions, had a pretty good outputting, uh, 29 points, 13 goals, 16 assists, and then you get Cameron Berg, an NCHC. Yeah. Of you know four coming in from Omaha again, um, also a draft pick of the Islanders, twenty four points in the season. Garrett Pike, who's coming from Alaska, had nineteen points. He will be a senior as well. Logan Britt coming from Sacred Heart, he had twelve points uh, as a defenseman. Keaton Pearson, 
also coming over from Michigan, had 11 assists in his time with the Wolverines last year. Um, how about this one? Bennett Smolik, right? A sophomore coming from MSU Mankato. He didn't suit up last year. And then we talked about Ludwig Pearson already coming in. Uh, numbers don't jump off the page, but for those who've watched him play, right? Uh, a big reason why he was one of the first people that North Dakota got off of the transfer board. I imagine that almost every single college hockey team, when his name hit the transfer portal, um, I can't imagine what his phone looked like um, after his name hit. I bet within probably 30 seconds, he had multiple teams calling, but he is now a North Dakota fighting hawk. Uh, Noah Grant, your reaction to the transfer group coming in for North Dakota. Yeah, forward group, par for the course. Hunter Johannes and Camberg, both serviceable guys that are going to fit in very well. I expect them to be top six, at minimum top nine guys on this team. I think very, very standard standard transfer portal material, regardless of the NCHC team you play for, they'd fit in in any group in this conference. I think there's no question about that. Ludwig Pearson, we've talked about him. Of course, his numbers, he would he would fit on any team in the country. Let's just put it that nice. way. Yeah. Um, very good net minder, obviously. Very curious to see how he would do on a team that like has some supplemental offense, though, and a little bit of structure in front of him. It would be like... Well, I mean, I, I, I was going to I was going to piss some people off and say, what about at Minnesota? You imagine Ludwig Pearson playing for the Gophers. Oh, that would be um, disgusting. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Now, here's the thing. And I, I like the Garrett Pike pick. I think him playing for Alaska with 19 points goes underrated because of how good the Nanooks had for a season last year. I mean, one one slot shy of making the national tournament, which I'm still slightly bitter about. But anyway, um, college hockey fans are bitter about that. So, yeah, definitely. Um <laughs> But I will say we did have one heck of a Fargo regional. Uh, and you know what? Uh, there was a certain team that wasn't there that normally is there, which made it all the more sweet. Heaven forbid we could be talking about them at this very moment. Um, regardless, though, Sacred Heart, Michigan, and Mankato, of course, Smolik didn't play, but Keaton Pearson and Logan Britt, and this is not taking anything away from them, but I suppose it kind of is. I mean, part of this transfer portal move, uh, we've only got four defensemen on this list, one of which did not play last season, like we mentioned. I mean, it kind of feels like North Dakota had a, for lack of a better term, an oh shit moment mm -hmm. when they realized more guys were moving than they thought. And they kind of, I think at the beginning of the summer, they thought, well, let's see who we can tice. I mean, we're North Dakota. We've got a fantastic building. We're a storied program. Maybe we'll get some defensemen coming in. And then as teams started to be more aggressive and getting their one or two guys, their one defenseman, their whatever, I think North Dakota kind of started to recognize as we went through the summer and we didn't see that list fill up where now they're kind of starting to feel like, oh boy, we're, you know, we're not getting those grade A guys. We're getting those B plus guys, those B minus players. And we're starting to pull that on the back end a little bit here. Now they might assimilate just fine. And this conversation might be a moot point, but looking at conferences, I mean, obviously Michigan, very good. So in Mankato, of course, had a great year in the CCHA. So if you're not making a Mankato lineup, it doesn't necessarily indicate you know, a lot of things, but at the same time, I don't know. It, it just, it, it feels like North Dakota has found a couple of guys they really like. And it also feels like they found a couple of guys who like, they don't necessarily know what they're getting in terms of how they're going to fit into this process. Are they going to be a, a middle pairing defenseman? Are they going to be the extra defenseman? I think they just don't really know the answer to that, Nick. And we haven't talked, even talked about the fact We've got seven freshmen in addition, quite a few of those defensemen as well, Nick. Mm -hmm. Very young group on the back end, uh, very inexperienced as far as their cohesion. Uh, how, do this, how does this freshman class look? It, it's a little defensive heavy um, and even includes a netminder, Nick. Who do we have? 
Yeah. And I think, again, you know, when we look at the NCHC, uh, St. Cloud included, right, you always want that one premier offensive defenseman, right? You want a guys that can be uh, feet moving, good first pass, but also can sometimes lead the charge and lead, uh, shall we say, on the rush sometimes, right? Uh, you think of guys like Nick Perbix, uh, Jack Ashan for St. Cloud, right, that had that ability. North Dakota had that again with Clevin as well as Sanderson now, uh, as you mentioned, pairing with Ottawa in the NHL. Can you imagine that? How awesome that would be to play yeah. with your college, you know, essentially defensive partner in the NHL. That's just, I don't care who you are. That's cool, right? That's, I, that's, that's I, cool. I was just thinking about what it would be like to play in the NHL at all, but I mean, right. I digress. You, you both, right? <laughs> uh, let's, let's start with some of the, the players that um, kind of stick out, right? You mentioned defensive heavy because, well, they need him, right? Um, Abram Weeb, right, coming from Chilliwack uh, of the BCHL. Uh, this guy's a monster. Uh, when we say, yeah. you know, he's the guy that is a first-pairing defenseman-type product. Uh, how about this? 53 points for him, 12 goals, 41 assists. And you talk about a guy that, you know, is that, you know, minutes eater, right? 26 minutes average per cool. game that he played. Um, so I would imagine he's well conditioned and probably, you know, his legs are doing okay. Um, not only that, he was awarded the BCHL's top defenseman last year. So they're getting a very good talent here. And Abram Weeb, um, he's also a seventh round pick of the Vegas Golden Knights, the now reigning Stanley Cup champion, right? So um, size may be a little bit of a question mark with the size, but certainly the instincts, the offensive part of his game is there. And no question in situations, right? He's been a guy that uh, Chilliwack relied on again, 26 minutes a night. So he's one of the guys that North Dakota will be looking to to add some offense to the back end. Another guy also a bit closer to home. How about this? Nate Benoit from Waterloo in the U-Shell. Um, also a pretty good offensive season for him on the back end, 25 points. Um, this was split between the Lancers of Omaha and the Blackhawks of Waterloo. Um, a little connection here, right? You played with Owen McLaughlin at Mount St. Charles back two years ago in 20 and 2021. He's also a sixth round pick of our Minnesota Wild, right? So a couple of guys already defensive yeah. Guys, that they want to have a little bit more of that offensive ability. Uh, so those two names probably headline this class, I would yeah, say. Yeah, 15 points for Owen McLaughlin in his freshman season for North Dakota, by the way, last year, in case anyone was curious. Right. Uh, we'll just we'll continue by position here. So as we get through another guy that has some offensive potential, that's Tander Komzak out of White Court in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, the AJHL. Uh, not a lot of North Dakota players coming from here, but this is an interesting pickup. Uh, how about this? 52 points from the back end, uh, 12 goals, 40 assists. So he's a distributor, no doubt. Um, also had seven points in nine postseason games. So you talk about players who want to, you know, shall we say, have the puck in those, you know, big spot areas. This is a guy that apparently thrives in that spot. So um, also spent some time in the BCHL, had 58, uh, 58 games played, 12 points, I should say. So again, no stranger to, uh, shall we say, big competition. So he'll be another great addition there as a freshman. And then to run out the decor, how about this, Jake? Uh, is it living? Oh, gosh, I'm going to butcher this. I'm so I think sorry. I think it's living average, I think. Living average. Okay, perfect. He's coming from the Chicago Steel of the U-Shell. Um, how about this, right? 90 points in 152 career games. And how about this? A plus 42 rating. Uh, yeah. No, that's, that's okay, right? That's That's okay. Well, yeah. didn't you know plus minus is a flawed stat? It is a flawed stat. But <laughs> um, at the end of it, you know, we talked about how North Dakota just, 
you know, this was an indicator. It's more of an indicator, right, of where they're at. Um, again, not to take away, Chicago was also a very good team last year, too. Also spent, I think they went to uh, the Clark Cup Finals. Was it last year or the year before? So that could be part of it as well. Um, last year, although limited to 48 games because of an injury, uh, but no question, uh, we see the point totals. We see also the defensive side uh, very promising. So you talk about a guy that's more of a well-rounded two-way player on the back end. Um, this guy could be a really good addition. I think has a more of a better chance to, uh, I should say, make a direct impact just because if you're taking care of your own end like that, that's pretty good indication. Um, uh, let's yeah. go to two of the forwards, unless well, you had a comment about I, I mean, I just was going to make a comment about the defensive core here. I mean, Jake yeah. Livinavage, I think, is probably the headliner uh, name, I think, just because of his production at the level for the usual. I mean, obviously, 90 points in 152 games, plus minus notwithstanding, is great production. Um, very curious to see how he rebounds, obviously, with a little bit of that injury scare last season. Sometimes that can make guys a little bit, you know, uh, uh, different as far as they enter training camp or, you know, their summer plans and things like that. So, but from what I can count between that and of course the transfers, we've got eight defensemen here. So, I mean, North Dakota, they got the numbers, they did the thing. Um, so they did supplement that obviously, but um, you know, and of course two forwards in the freshman class that we're going to talk about as well, in addition to a netminder, which is funny because their transfer class and their freshman class have identical layouts, two forwards, four defensemen, one goaltender, which is, I, I don't know who drew that up, but uh, kudos to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this defensive core, I, I mean, this defensive core, it's, I, again, I, I just don't really know what we have. Obviously you've got a, you know, a BC guy and AJ slash BC guy, a couple of usual guys here too. Um, you know, names that, uh, you know, some of them a little bit more prominent in the USHL. And then of course there are other leagues as a, as a result of their production. But again, just very curious how they're going to fit in the, in this lineup. Are they are all of these freshmen that we're going to talk about? Are they going to be everyday lineup guys? Are there going to be two of these guys that are going to be sitting on their keister in a press box all year, or is it going to be one of the transfers? This mix is going to be very interesting because, again, as we've talked about, I I, I don't think there's one guy. Um, maybe uh, Jake Livinavage just because of his production, but other than that. I don't really know that there's one guy on the back end, uh, you know, maybe Garrett Pike experience and age potentially for the actual transfer group. Other than that, I don't, I don't really know that there's anybody in this defensive core, that, you know, it, correct me if I'm wrong, that pops out that you're like, oh yeah, he's going to be in the lineup. Like clearly he's going to be a top bearing guy. Clearly he's going to be a top four guy. I, I, I'm very, I'm just, I'm really curious. I like, it's going to oh. be, um, it's going to be a fun year to watch North Dakota hockey. If you can stomach it, it's going to be a fun year because there's just going to be a lot of interesting finagling. The lineup card on day one is, I feel like going to look exponentially different than the one that we're going to see in the NCHC playoffs. More than likely. And here's what I gather. No, and I'm not sure if you see the same thing and then we'll head into the forwards, right? Is you have the, the upperclassmen defensemen that are not necessarily the big, shall we say, offensive producers. So they're going to be the ones that are going to maybe, I would say maybe kind of tame down some of these guys, right? Because again, you know, as a junior hockey player, you're transitioning to college um, instinctively as an athlete, right? Do what got you here, right? Uh, sometimes you have to make a little bit of adjustment, right? Uh, some of those coast to coast, Mark Johnson, Herb Brooks, right? You're not going to be able to go coast to coast. It's not going to work, right? So I think with these offensively talented defensemen who, you know, are going to showcase some of that, right? I think maybe also have to realize that that's going to be more of a 
shall we say, that's going to be the second thing that they're going to want to prioritize um, as they transition to college and, hockey, take care and, of their own end first. And it's just, it's so hard to characterize defensive production. You might look at a guy like we talked about, who I think a great example, Nate Benoit, like you mentioned, obviously 25 points uh, in the usual last season. Is he a shutdown defenseman? Is his game not primarily offense? It's so hard to rate defensemen as opposed to forwards because when it comes to offense and the forward side, production doesn't lie, right? I mean, it's just, you know, unless you're a shutdown centerman or a defensive 200-foot forward, production just does not lie. Defensemen, obviously, in that case as well, but depending on the league, depending on the team you play for, depending on the structure, defensemen are just, you know, like as you move farther and farther away from the top part of the lineup, meaning the forward side towards defensemen and goaltenders, the ability to evaluate those positions on statistics alone without really obviously watching shocker. We haven't watched all of these guys play. I mean, let's be realistic. Um, It's really hard to characterize. North Dakota is going to have an interesting carousel on their hands. I think that's safe to safe to be said. Sure. Uh, So let's talk about the two forwards, right? Guys that uh, production is a big part of the game, right? Um, How about this? So let's start with the Jaden Perron of the Chicago Steel. Again, another U show guy. Uh, This guy's got some high accolades. In fact, he's a third round pick of the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, Is he going to be Cole Caulfield 2.0 because he's only five time? Uh, But how about this? 24 goals, 48 points for 72, uh, 48 assists nick and then 72 points so i got that right the second time okay um but so a water bug right probably a fast skater um and definitely a heck of a shot if you're dominating at that size in the u.s and the ushl i think that's pretty telling right so i think uh there's some excitement surrounding him the other ford how about this another chicago seal we i see a trend here no i'm not sure <laughs> if chicago has been a destination for north dakota this year but it certainly feels like how about this michael emerson another forward coming in as we mentioned 30 goals, 34 is 664 points. A little bit more size to this guy, six foot two, 192 pounds. Um, also a playoff producer, three goals in six playoff games. He's a sixth round pick of the Carolina Hurricane. So wait, North Dakota and the Carolina train is there with <laughs> Chicago Steel. So uh, again, the trends are there. But no, um, your quick reaction to these two forwards. Again, the numbers are pretty good for both these guys. One with speed, maybe, uh, and maybe not so much size of the guy, a little bit more sizable, uh, maybe more of a puck distributor. Uh, maybe when he gets to the college hockey ranks, again, we don't know. We've had not seen these guys play, but still looks like two very talented freshman forwards coming in to North Dakota hockey. Yeah, Carolina must be the Mike Commodore connection or something. But uh, I, I mean, uh, Mike Emerson, like you mentioned, by the way, obviously uh, a, a very good uh, production usual wise. I mean, very serviceable. He's going to fit into this lineup quite nicely. And then Jaden Perron, by the way, too, uh, you know, talking about him, a very like crafty player, uh, you know, uh, really relies on deceptive speed and very uh, cerebral hockey IQ type of player from what I've seen. And uh, just really thinks the game well, someone who, um positionally is able to create a lot with his feet and his playmaking ability. So I think he'll fit in both. I, I think on the forward side, um, a little bit easier to evaluate. Like I said, even with the transfer group, I think the four forwards that they, that they have coming in all seem to me like guys who will fit in this lineup somewhere. Um, you know, they, they, they just don't strike me as guys that will be sitting on the sidelines, so to speak. We'll have to see obviously how they adjust. We've had this conversation before with North Dakota freshmen a la last year, but at the same time, all these guys, really great numbers, really great, great underlying skill sets. You can tell that Bradbury and staff want to really supplement some offense and really kind of get some of that offensive driving, uh, 
back in place. Like it almost feels a little bit more like not that they're neglecting the defensive side, but they're okay with letting the horses run a little bit and picking up the pieces, so to speak, and letting these offensive guys create on that end of the ice and then teaching the 200-foot game as we go versus there are some times where when you bring guys in, you're really emphasizing that 200-foot game from day one. I think they're really a little bit more concerned about are you producing on the offensive side and we'll work on the defensive side as we go because we're just it, it's just going to be an interesting time sorting this, self, this out. So... I like the forward picks. I really do. And then while goaltender, uh, as we mentioned, to round out the incoming freshman class, Holby Hedquist coming from Alberni Valley in the BCHL. Um, some accolades here, here, Noah, um, earned franchise records in games played, which was 83, and wins 54. So that's a pretty good spread last I checked. Um, yeah. Won 26 of those games last year, two 7-4 goals against a 9-14 save percentage. In the postseason had five wins and eight contests and a 9-25 save percentage, right? So at least, again, BCHL, those are pretty solid numbers for a goaltender. Again, uh, when you're playing 83 games, you win 54 of them. Uh, that's pretty good. Um, but no question will most likely be um, the backup primarily to uh, Ludwig Pearson. I would imagine that uh, he probably will you know, see some action. And if that's indeed the case, uh, numbers, at least on paper, look pretty good for him. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got Caleb Johnson, who's returning the Grand Forks native as well, too, had a single contest last year. It was fun to see him jump in in that hockey game. Did not, of course, have a great showing in that contest. But, he, I mean, he was there. Um, yeah. Net, netminders. Oh, I mean, I mean, if you want me to be honest, I mean, I mean one contest. One oh, contest, okay. GAA, 7.16. So, I mean, I again, it. again. I um, uh, yeah, a goaltender, I mean, it, like I said, it gets harder to evaluate, especially with a BC goaltender. But again, a great numbers and very curious to see how he assimilates. I guess I can't really offer more than that. I just, again, it's going to be interesting. Bradbury, his ninth season, of course, a 645 winning percentage and a single national championship for him entering the season. 180 wins if he has a good enough year he could approach 200 um in his coaching career at the college level nick um yeah it's an interesting match i'm gonna flip it back on you i mean you look at this mix of freshmen transfers 14 bodies coming in for this roster this north dakota group is gonna look brand new slightly baby-faced in some senses here i mean i mean what what do you what do you take out of this transfer in freshman incoming class rotation uh really what i take out of this is a lot of the same from last year. Um, a lot of offensive firepower, potentially. Um, and I do think we're going to see a similar approach to how North Dakota has to win their hockey games. I think they are going to have to utilize their scoring touch, and they're not going to be winning those 3-2-2-1 games. It's going to be, like you mentioned, 7-6-6-5. Six, six, Whatever the case may be, they're really and their special teams, right? Remember, their power play has been lethal. Uh, just ask Reese Gaber and Jackson Blake. Holy cow, were they stalwarts on the power play? Um, and so if North Dakota can use foot speed and allow other teams to chase them, then it takes a little bit of load off of them defensively, right? I think that's sort of what I see is trying to replicate, well, this is what we can do very well. We know we can coach the offense, so we're going to have to essentially get every ounce of that out of our team. But more so than not, 
it's still hard to tell, right, Noah? Because again, as a player, you look at all these new guys coming in, and it sometimes it takes time to figure it out. And you do wonder with the freshman class, who are not only trying to figure out their line mates, but also trying to get acclimated to college hockey, to the Bradbury systems. That's a lot to ask, right? So again, when we talk about a wild card, a true definition of a wild card here for North Dakota, they are literally writing the definition in the Webster Dictionary of that. So that's what I take. Uh, that's I don't know. I just don't see it any other way. Um, speaking of which, let's talk about their journey that they're going to be going on yep. next year real quick before we wrap up with some final thoughts. Uh, the schedule here, Noah. Now, one thing about the schedule here is you look at, I think, matchup number three, which is against um, the Golden Gophers. Um, am I correct that this is the last scheduled meeting between the Fighting Hawks and the Gophers, at least in the near term? Am I correct on that? Um, well, I can tell you it's happening October 20th and 21st. I, you know, there's always kind of been rumblings here, but it seems like we always end up circling back at some point here. Uh, very curious to see now, Nick, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Let's say Bradbury figures it out and Bob Monsko continues to do what he did with the Gophers. Um, when you say last scheduled meeting, of course, in the near term, it may not be the last meeting in the near term, depending on the success of these programs. So, I mean, if you really want to play each other, there's ways to do that. Let me just put it to you that way. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting start. Of course, uh, that's their first non-conference matchup. That is a regular weekend. They start with their exhibition contest like normal against Manitoba on the seventh. And then the icebreaker tournament, they play army and then Wisconsin in grand forks, a very interesting mix to get army to head all the way out from West point. So, um, I've actually skated at that rink at Tate rink and it's a kind of a cool little building. So, um, yeah, an interesting start there, but, uh, uh, go first. Uh, heading to Grand Forks, North Dakota, I'm getting Ben Blood vibes all over again. But I think <laughs> I think the other thing that's interesting, Nick, how about this, by the way? They play Mankato after that, right before heading to Boston on the road, and then they start their NCHC action. Um, if you include the exhibition game, uh, you know, two, four, six, we've got seven games at home in Grand Forks to start the season. If you're a young group with a lot of transfers coming in and a new goaltender and a potential new assistant coach, pretty good building to start your season in for the first seven don't you think yeah and you, you kind of hope that you know you gain confidence and you know that takes away but the the problem with that is noah that is you make up for it at some point right there's going to be some heavy road schedules and so you know if it gives them an opportunity to kind of get in sync and get on the same page great but at some point you're going to be on the road too for an extended period so but yeah, for what they have to endure, especially early. I don't know if the coaching staff or the players could ask for a more favorable way to get yeah. started. Um, unfortunately for them, you may know that quick whether or not the trajectory of the season coming from home ice, yeah. what it might look like after that seventh game. Yeah, I definitely would agree. Like you mentioned, uh, BU and then Duluth, they have a four-game road swing. They start November 10th and 11th against Duluth. That's their first real NCHC test. Four-game home swing, though, Nick, for them. Uh, Miami at home before the holiday break in Thanksgiving. They host Bemidji for a pair. Uh, and then, of course, they travel to Denver, host CC before the holiday break. And then, of course, as is usual, they play the U.S. under-18 team on December 30th to round out uh, the calendar year of 2023. And then I love this, Nick. January 5th and 6th, their last exhibition roundout is against Garrett Pike's former team and the Alaskan and Nooks. That's, it's great to see them uh, come through for that schedule. Um, and then they actually stay at home. So um, really, if you want to be technical about it, since December 8th, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six seven games as they open up with Omaha on January 12th and 13th at home in Grand Forks. Nick, I'm telling you, 
Um, you know, I thought this was going to get worse, but uh, I'm still waiting. Uh, rigged. <laughs> they, they do travel to St. Cloud um, in the middle of January. I believe that's the only matchup. Yes, the only it's matchup that the Huskies have against them this season. They do not travel to Grand Forks, one of the few teams that apparently doesn't. Um, and uh, uh, Denver does travel the next weekend uh, to Ralph Engelstead Arena. And then a four-game road swing. They are going literally across the country from one direction to the other. They head to Oxford, Ohio to face Miami. And then on the other side, Colorado Springs at Robeson Arena against the Tigers. At home for another four-game home swing, Duluth and Western Michigan, the only time they see the Broncos this season at the beginning of March, and they round out the year at Baxter Arena in Omaha to close out uh, the regular season. I don't know, Nick. We have them fifth for a reason. That schedule is not too bad. I'm just going to put that out there right now. No, it's not too bad, Um, but like I said, right, you know, when we when we talk scheduling, right, and we talk how it could play an impact on on a team, right? At the end of it, you still got to go out there and earn wins, right? Um, we talked about how Colorado College should be an improved team. Uh, Denver, we haven't talked about them yet. That should be an indicator of where we have them in our list, right? Um, and UMD should be better this year, right? Um, even though we have them lower on our list, they sh- still should be a better team on the ice. Um, I just don't know. Like, again, you you can't control the schedule. What you can do is control how you approach each team, right? Um, it is a favorable schedule if you're going to go that way, right? Uh, but at the end of the day, North Dakota is going to have to come together as a group, and they're also going to have to put the wins on the board, which in certain situations yeah. we talked earlier, that was tough for them. Um, but, Noah, there's one team that we really care about, in that matchup, and that is against St. Cloud, right? So we've talked North Dakota hockey. We talked about everything that involves them coming through this offseason and, of course, coming into this season. We've talked about their schedule. St. Cloud only playing them in two games at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. Um, How do our St. Cloud State Huskies beat the North Dakota Fighting Hawks mid-January? Take advantage of the fact that they're on the road on an Olympic ice sheet. Um, You know, the fact is this North Dakota team, their biggest challenge is as they approach tournament time, if they're in the mix, they have to be able to handle games on the road and at neutral sites, which is something that they won't have a lot of experience with, actually, uh, when you look at the schedule here. So take advantage of that. Take advantage of the fact that, you know, you're going to have them in a different building, a raucous environment that North Dakota game uh, or weekend series usually draws a good crowd at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. So take advantage of all of those elements. Young group, a lot of freshmen. A lot of transfers, some of which have never played at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center, uh, you know, in St. Cloud, obviously, in that building. Man, if you're well, first of all, if you're a Huskies fan, you got to be there and create that environment and create that energy. I think that's easy to be said. But one weekend against the Fighting Hawks, I think if you're the Huskies and they are anywhere close to where we are going to rank them this season, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, it's going to be interesting. Um Take advantage of the potential firepower and great structure that you have and try to take advantage of a team that is going to get great goaltending but potentially might be a mixed bag everywhere else. You know how to beat Ludwig Pearson. You've done it against Miami. Now you're just doing it with a different mix in front of him. Got to be able to contain the firepower from some of these young guns and some of these guys that are going to be offensive producers. Somebody is going to stand out besides Jackson Blake and Reese Gaber. Somebody else is going to come to the forefront and be an offensive producer. There's no doubt about that. But I think if you're able to control the pace of play um, and really keep North Dakota on their heels, on their half of center ice, not allow that offense to get rolling, I think there's enough opportunity on the defensive side with you know, holes in the lineup, 
guys trying to still find positions, places, structure, whatever it may be. Even that late in the season, I think the Huskies have a chance to potentially sweep on home ice. It's going to be a fun matchup regardless, but I think if you can get into the middle of the ice, challenge Ludwig Pearson, rebounds, screens in front, make his life difficult, I think you're going to have enough opportunity to pop three or four on a given night and give yourself a chance to win both hockey games. How about you, Nick? What do you think about the Fighting Hawks visiting town for the only time this season? Um... What, what's what's the Herbrook line? You take their game and shove it right back in their face. Yes, yeah. sort of what you got to do, honestly. Uh, you take uh, what St. Cloud can do well, and I think also be a little bit more physical, right? I think if one thing that St. Cloud can do very well with their bottom six is to utilize that dump and chase and then just out-muscle these guys. Uh, the one advantage you may have against not only a young, but also potentially, shall we say, uh, inexperienced defensive core is on the board battle side. I really do think you could take advantage of them um, by just simply suffocating them on the offensive side. Because especially with younger players right now, sometimes when you get into a situation where you're defending for 30 to 45 seconds, you understand you're getting tired. You know that you don't want to create uh, an, uh, shall we say an, an odd man chance or a grade A chance for the opposition your own ice so maybe you start to panic maybe you try to do too much now you force a bad turnover or even worse maybe you draw a penalty and now you're back on the um, on the man advantage so I do think you just got to suffocate him on the forecheck and I do think with a young and inexperienced group at multiple areas of the ice yes Pearson is a true and tested goaltender who does have some different holes in his game right we talked about that before but I think you can really exploit North Dakota and maybe some of those freshman tendencies, per se, it be able to play a cool, calm, and collected game with your puck on your stick and just getting pucks through towards their netminder. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. Obviously, North Dakota, obviously a fun series. And uh, hey, we like to have fun here on the Huskies Warming House broadcast brought to you by the Soda Pod. Stay wild and up to date with all things in the state of hockey. Huskiesillustrated.com as well as centericeview.com, your home for all things St. Cloud Hockey. I'm going to imagine there's going to be a lot of great pictures coming from that weekend series from Bill Prout. The latest news and photos, of course, of your favorite Huskies as they go through that navigation in the middle of January. Uh, wishing North Dakota the best, Nick, and everything they do, except, of course, our, against our St. Cloud Huskies. Nick, anything else we want to add here on the Fighting Hawks? Uh, no, but more so, like, again, I think we'll, we'll say it one more time. This team, if, if it comes together quick and the skill pops, they could easily be... Yeah top three team. They really could. If they struggle out of the game again, their early schedule Boston is, Oh, they're going to be good this year. Um, they have a lot of great talent there, but if they can't get in sync and again, if nobody's on the same page and these freshmen struggle, this could easily be the opposite for North Dakota. It could be uh, shall we say a rebuilding year for them. So uh, it's going to be an interesting case to follow. I'm actually very curious to watch them because like I said, if for North Dakota, it's either one way or the other. They're not usually a middle-of-the-pack team. It's either they're really good or they're sort of you know recapping themselves. Yeah, certainly would agree. That will do it for Episode 174. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. One-timer coming, they score! She scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL. A game winner. 
42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.